1: Hey, here we are. My guest today is a rock star in his own right by way of promoting rock stars. You see, he's one of the most respected uh, record promoters in the UK. And to give you an idea, he's worked with the likes of U2, uh, known for having played a huge part in their early success. Peter Gabriel in Genesis, The Police, and the legendary David Bowie. Trust me, folks, that list just scratches the surface. If I named everyone he's worked with, by the time I finish listing them all, our time would be up. <laughs> uh, these days, he is also an author, a TEDx speaker, a keynote speaker. His latest book is entitled Moments That Rock. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, he joins me now from St. Pete Beach, uh, Florida, although he doesn't sound like a Floridian. You'll soon find out. Welcome to the program, Tony Michaelides. Days.
0: Thank you very much for inviting me, Mark. Pleasure to meet you, sir.
1: Yeah. Just a quick uh, starter. I know you're from Manchester. How did you I know in 2004 you came to the United States uh, and you tell me what that uh, alien green card, the uh, alien of extraordinary ability green card or something like that
0: yeah and that's exactly what it is it's funny i never mentioned it for like the first 10 years of being here but i mentioned it to everybody now because it's like my phd (laughs) (laughs) basically in a a nutshell mark the the music industry was kind of falling apart around me and i hadn't done anything wrong you know but i had like quite a sizable company in as much as eight nine ten maybe people which included company cars and and everything that went with it i mean in those days you were paying for your telephone calls no mind you internet I mean, it was like 150 dollars a quarter to rent a photocopy you can buy for like 20 bucks now <laughs> so I bought a place in Florida in the mid 90s where I used to bring the kids as they were growing up doing Disney and all that so I, I got introduced to a lady from Bradenton who kind of specialized in Brits um, coming to the US so and a lot at the time it was kind of in that boom period well I actually know it was before that but the Brits would, could afford pool homes in the in the US, you know. And a mm. lot of them were selling. I, I met one guy, for instance, who'd... Um, he worked in IT and he, he 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 came and he he got a um, a visa, which lasts for like a couple of years, I think. And then you've got to right. renew it again. But you've got to employ a couple of Americans, file taxes, have somewhere to live. Well, I had somewhere to live. So she contacted me back and she said, well, I've seen this, I've never done one. And it was that alien of extraordinary ability. And it was mm. kind of like... Um, you know, there was some kind of criteria, you know, you had to meet like four of the seven or eight. Right. And things like awards and distinctions. So I got all the bullshit out and put it on the wall, <laughs> <and put laughs> photos awesome. of it, you know. And I was thinking, well, some kid who kind of, you know, works in homeland security or and Maybe you two and Bowie were his favourite bands. It's like boom. Except <laughs> this yeah was standing
1: And standing standing then I got like um,
0: Yeah, I took photocopies okay. of, of pages of books that I was in. I got referrals from, you know, Bowie's people, presidents of record companies. Mm. Um, and it was funny because it was, I've always found it difficult promoting myself, but I did a really good job with that. And then, mm. and then you know, I didn't have to have a business to open or anything. Um, I got a back from Obama, you know, congratulating me and all that. Wow. Um, and apparently, if you go to the government website, it's awarded to a small percentage of people who've reached the peak of success in <laughs> the field of endeavour. And mine was kind of arts and music.
1: Wow. Nice. Well, there's so much here I could ask. I, I know that you, you met Led Zeppelin when you were like 15 or 16. That was ultimately, a fan. What's that?
0: That was a fan. I wasn't working with them. Well,
1: yeah, I know. I um, But ultimately began your music career selling records out of the back of a van in 1974. Got your start in promotions at Island Records. And in the 90s, you were David Bowie's publicist. So it is almost overwhelming to even know which story to start with so i'm gonna go straight to the heart of what i'd like to know first and that is of your career spanning decades in the music industry tell us right off the bat the biggest moment you were a part of
0: well i mean it's quite weird that we're doing this on january the 9th because january the 8th was david bowie's birthday and Uh january the 10th is the day he died you know so i'll kind of be you know, do my own little kind of, you know, remembrance and posting probably on Facebook and have you tomorrow. Um, I have to say that that my story, Mark, is working with people whose records I bought as a kid. So I would have to answer your question with David Bowie. Mm. Um, now, don't get me wrong. David Bowie would have been fine without me because I was his publicist for that tour, but i promoted his record. But David Bowie wasn't on every interview and TV program and things. You know, he was a total rock star. You know, he didn't have the time to do all those things and he didn't need to do it. Right. and at the last minute i got from their pr company in london recruited so to speak you know mm. um but you know i went to see david bowie split up the spiders from mars in front of me as an 18 year old and was devastated and really pissed off with him it's like how can you do this you know where's my next david bowie record going to <laughs> and then like 25 years later i'm sitting down you know before the sound check going through all the promotion that's available and okay. um you know, and that doesn't happen to a kid from the north of England. And I, I think the older you get, and especially when the roller coaster ends, the more appreciative you become. Mm-hmm. And I look back on that now. And um, I have to say that that was like, it's almost like knighthood in my game, you know.
1: <laughs> well, so that,
0: that's kind of my moment that rocked, yeah.
1: Well, that actually, I'll skip ahead to a question I was going to ask later uh, about Bowie. Um Cause I didn't know that it was good. That it was going to be a David Bowie moment for you, but what's it like sitting next to David Bowie and what I mean by that, obviously it's amazing, but are you just sitting there starstruck the whole time or do you get to a point, do you spend enough time that you, you, you get a, you gain a sense of comfort with him?
0: The thing about David Bowie, Mark is, is yeah, he's, he's, he's a legend and he always will be because, you know, like on my website, some of my own quotes where I feel like I'm on a mission to help keep the legacy alive of some of the greatest artists that ever lived. But there's that fine line between, like, not sounding like this boring old bloke they bring out the cupboard and it's like, let me tell you when the music business was great, you know, and being relevant <laughs> today. But there's a generation of people growing up that never had it to miss it, you know, because to get into Bowie and things, I mean, it does involve, like, the boring old man bit of me saying like, well, you know, you have to sit down and listen to a record. It's not like... I mean, three seconds is a view on YouTube. Hmm. I mean, I don't know what you get out of three seconds, but we live in an age of instant gratification. And the the incredible thing about Bowie was uh, he always wanted to meet everybody that worked with him, you know. So I was commissioned to go meet him, you know, in the Manchester show. Um, and um, you know, I, I went backstage and was chit-chatting and got, like I say, the Royal Seal of approval. So I was on the road with him next day and little things like I went to see the sound check at, at the first show like Liverpool. Um and you know, he was sat at the end of his the walkway while the drums were being sound you know, boom, boom, <laughs> boom, you know, he was having a cigarette and I walked in and it was like, Hi Tony. Well, <laughs> oh, i people David Bowie meet that you should remember my name, you know. <laughs> and then every night, that there's there's a couple of things that I have to share with you. And as you're in charge of editing, I'll leave it to you. Um, but the, but the thing is, Mark, that that you know, every night I used to have to sit down and 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 go through what was available. Well, who doesn't want to interview David Bowie? Every press, every radio, every TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, one night I was in um, Nottingham, you know, and. Um, he said what's what's going Tony you know so I said well there's this guy from the BBC Mark he's a, a sorry David he's he's a huge fan you know he's got all your records this and that and everything and then the other one's the ITV guy but you know it, it's it's a different you know the, the gig sold out because he was playing smaller venues very intimate venues under, under thousand seers. and um and he, he he said to me he said well what do you think I said well you know it's entirely up to you David you don't have to do any of them you know but I would do one I would do the guy who was a fan David and honestly, Mark, he looked at me and he said, "Well, if you think I should do it, Tony, I'd do it." I swear <laughs> to God, to this—this this wow. was 1997. So we're 25 years on. Yeah. Um, I, I I walked out of that dressing room, and I was, uh, you know, he, Imam was on the road with him, so I respected his, you know, time, you know, with his with his wife and everything. So I walked out of the dressing room, down the corridor, I was clenching my fists. It was like <laughs> I don't believe this. It's like David Bowie just agreed to do something on my recommendation. <laughs> And one of the strangest days of my life was was when he was when he passed away because I got contacted by so many media to do interviews. Mm. You know, I woke up, my texts were full, my messages and this, you know, the local paper here, the Tampa Bay Times, the um the TV company wanted to send somebody around to interview. And I was in a, a total state of shock mm. because it was like you invented this alien rock star in the 70s. How can you die? Mm-hmm. David Bowie doesn't die. Uh, right. So I had to write back to these people and say, hey, listen, guys, I know you have deadlines to me. Can I just have an hour or so to grieve? Mm. You know, just a human being type thing. Um, but the graciousness and the humility of Bowie is, and I always, always say that the, the, the biggest artist, Mark, are the easiest to work with because they don't turn up wasted. They're not like late. Um, mm. They're respectful. They appreciate that it's not all about them. It's about a team of people. And the entourage around Bowie are people that have been with him a very, very long time.
1: Well, let's let's talk about the book, uh, Moments That Rock. Uh, it, it's essentially your life story, a terrific read. But I, I know there seems to be a message for people in the book, I, I, I think, with each chapter, um, one of inspiration. What What would you hope someone gains other than simply reading a fascinating story from reading your book?
0: well just in the introduction like the start i mean i mean i wrote a book a while back and it kind of went from me growing up into lessons learned from rock and roll right. but i've kind of veered the lessons learned to rock from rock and roll and that ingredients of greatness thing into a course that we're going to be doing and a series of ebooks which mm. is affordable for musicians and students and stuff and it's things like you know um insights into artist development and insights into um uh, you know, for instance, the latest one since the pandemic and stuff was like, uh, you know, here's a classic case study. The Why do they call Bruce Springsteen the boss? He's had the same staff for 53 years. The only two that have left have died. So tell me, Mr. Game Developer, how come you leave your job every two years to double your salary? You don't think these guys could get a job anywhere, but right. they stay with him. So it's a great lesson for corporate America, <laughs> corporate France, Germany, Japan, everywhere in staff retention, you know. And I have one, Preparing for Success, where you talk about you two as 17-year-old kids deciding to share the publishing. And it's easy to do when there's no money involved. When the money comes in, it what splits bands up. But when I wrote that to start the book, I mean, you mentioned earlier the Led Zeppelin moment. You know, I was a 15-year-old kid, and we just hung around. I just wanted to watch the roadies take the equipment down. That was enough for me. And Robert <laughs> came out and, and signed our poster, and then he gave it back, and then said well it's no good with just me on it you want to come and meet the guys so we went backstage but it wow. made me realize it yeah. made me realize what it was like to meet your heroes yeah. so when i had the opportunity to stand outside a gig in a pouring rain and give a couple of kids free tickets they didn't cost me anything mm. but do it discreetly away from the touts you change people's lives you know mm. and you know it, it's not hard to do
1: it is inspiring and it actually is a good uh segue to the, the next thing towards the end of uh, interviews, I, I do a segment called Five Minutes Zen. doesn't have to do anything with Zen. I usually tailor my question for whoever I'm speaking with. You seem like a genuinely happy soul. What is your advice for how each of us find happiness in our lives?
0: Well, the thing is, we're all I mean, I have to translate everything into music. terms. I call it like we're all in charge of our own A&R. You know, A&R is like artists and repertoire in a record company. You sign the band and you develop them. You find the producer, you find this. And I think, you know, life lessons that, you know, you you do become, like Socrates says, you know, wisdom comes with age. So I'm a smarter version of myself. I'm going to turn 17 six months. I'm a smarter version of myself than I was 30 or 40 years ago. Right. But those are through life's experience. I mean, I had a guy from Manchester that, and this relates to to your Led Zeppelin story, just to backtrack a little but. You know, instead of like, you know, I expect people to ask me what David Bowie's like and stuff like that, you know. But he said to me, I found really interesting, he said, Tony said, what do you feel the music industry taught you that would have helped you as a 15 year old meeting Led Zeppelin? And I went, Hmm, interesting, that's a good question. Not as much as you think, actually. And he (laughs) went, Really? I said, Yeah. I said, Well, when I was six or seven on the school playground, I I realised I didn't want to hang out with this jerk who was a bully, you know. (laughs) Like Not going to be my friend. And when I was like 15, discovering girls, and I had to stand in front of them and ask them (laughs) out, and fear rejection. Nowadays, it's like you know, swipe here, swipe that. You know, as soon as you delete them off your address book, you finished. That personal contact lacks. You know, I do feel that that you know relationships are the thing that that on every level has kept me going. So, you know, the happiness side of things. What what was the actual physical question? Because I'm kind of veering off a little bit Was it, is it like the happiness it, thing
1: it is and I, you're getting there because I, I think maybe your answer in what you were how you were explaining it is it it's relationships if
0: that's the case then yeah. yeah because the thing is i there's a and especially you know in in the world we live in now you know there's so much diversity and hatred out there and you know we live in a country here full of sh- shootings and you couldn't imagine that you know right. in what i call the real world but half of you kind of wants to distance yourself from it, but the other half of it kind of wants you to be, you know, just doing things like this where you can just share your thoughts on it. And it's, let me tell you, I come from an industry where you walk the walk or talk the talk. And since I came to America, I've had a lot of people who promised things, but couldn't actually deliver. Mm. And, And that's what I've been about becoming a little smarter. A guy said to me about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when I came here, um, well, I've been here five years, I've been here 19 years now, but he said to me, he said, you know, when people meet you, Tony, he said, "Um, you know, you're the closest thing they get to Bowie and Bono. Now it makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. you know. So instead of like, some people like, they they name drop. They always know somebody who worked at a record company. They've always known somebody who had a contract. Not that I'm going to go and, you know, research it and find out if they're telling the truth or not, but it's like, and, and I kind of sit there and, you know, having had my dinner with David Bowie, backstage at one of his gigs and I'm I'm who are you trying to impress? David Bowie doesn't try to impress me. Be normal, <laughs> you know. So I don't to my detriment in in some respects because now I have to kind of turn up. But doing things like this for me is incredibly invigorating because I'm not telling people to buy my book. I'm just telling people I've got a book out. Yeah. But I think the happiness type of things. I mean, It's not utopia, we have to make it the best we can. So, you know, whatever your sexuality or anything, you have to find that partner that is like, you know, shares the same things. And I'm talking about everything from music and food to what you watch, to where you go, to who you hang out with, because then you surround yourself with a bunch of people that invigorate you and inspire you and things. Like for instance, we're both a part of the, the, the Biz 360 Catalyst and what Dennis, you know, created and things. Right. i've met some amazing people that inspire me i mean just the other week i was you know when i was reading your um you know watching your videos that you post i said to write she said where the hell do you find these things you know <laughs> because it, you know it's nice to get up and smile and i think you share that same passion in as much as i mean the little teaser that you put on your profile on linkedin you know hope you can yeah. make you laugh in the morning and things because obviously with the time differences most people are getting up by the yeah. time and that's the thing they see over the morning coffee. i have
1: to i and have to yeah go ahead
0: sorry the fact that you want to do that and i in my own way because the thing with music is it it brings out i think the home hopeless romantic in you In as much as you know when you write that song that means that much to that many you change their world hmm. um, and it's been a proven fact that it's it's times it's saved people from death you know because like there's a solace and in, in a tranquility in in you know, in, in the, the artistic, you know, side of, I mean, there is in other things, it's just the thing that, you know, was all part of my life, but I was fortunate to get a job in the music industry, but then I'm, it, it was my own little hustle that got it, Yeah. but most people don't get to do what they love, and, you know, there are a lot of people, certainly in America, who, you know, they, 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 probably have loveless relationships at home because they don't like their job. They go home, and, but they're frightened to to separate and go their own separate ways. But I do think that, you know, for, for the things that you're doing with your podcast and what I'm trying to do, because my moments that rock is the title of a podcast as well. So mm. I bring industry insiders in and artists and get them to share moments that rock their world. The premise being that if I like hearing the stories, other people will. Yeah. And I think we live in an age now of, of storytelling, And I think inspirational messages that are done not in a like in your face way through communication through the social media that we have to use.
1: Hmm, That's good. Well, I will link I will uh, put a link to Tony dot com uh, in the show notes here. And uh, you can go there. I mean, you can get the book. Off of Amazon, uh, but I, I believe if you go through your website, you can get a signed copy of the book. Am I? Yeah,
0: it's if, if on the page. If you if you info, I'm I'm actually tweaking a few things on the website at the moment. But if you if you send me a personal email to info at tonymichaelis yeah. uh, I mean it, it's another four or five books more because of postage, you know. But I'll sign it personally to whatever nice. dedication you want. But it's uh, it's available in yeah. Amazon. I will be doing an audio book next year as well, and it's awesome. available. on
1: all right, well, all right, folks. That will do it. Uh, go get the book first, uh, "Moments That Rock." Go do that first, and when you're done with that, if you got three bucks left over, uh, you can support this show at patreoncom Zensamich or just make a one-time donation of any amount, just a buck, at redcirclecom dash samich It's easy to do. I'll link that stuff as well. Tony, it's been an honor and a pleasure to talk with you today. I appreciate your time. Very inspirational stuff.
0: Thank you so much, Mark.